And our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's go around the markets in Asia. In Australia, first of all, the SX200 is up 0.6%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 is having a very strong rally at the open. Uh, it's climbed almost 2% now. Uh, over in South Korea, the Cosby is up 1.4%. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to add on about 1.9% uh, at the open, taking the index close to 24,400. And in the commodities markets, gold is at $1,726 an ounce. Uh, Brent crude oil is trading at $39.93 a barrel. And in the currency markets, the US dollar is at 108 and three quarters against the Japanese yen. That's it from me. Do stay tuned uh, for back chats with Hugh Chivitzen and Rachel Cartland this morning. Let me give you an update on the uh, weather forecast for today. Going to be hot with sunny periods, few showers and thunderstorms. Maximum temperature is going to be about 30 degrees. The outlook is for it to be hot tomorrow and on Friday. And there's going to be showers over the weekend. It's 30 degrees right now and it's 76% relative humidity. <laughs> 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. A medical expert says it's unlikely the coronavirus can be completely eliminated from Hong Kong, so health authorities should focus on preventing large-scale local outbreaks. Virologist Malik Peris was commenting as Hong Kong confirmed another six local cases linked to a warehouse in Kwai Chung, bringing the total in that cluster to nine. Professor Peris from the University of Hong Kong says there's no need to tighten social distancing measures until multiple clusters emerge. It is quite likely that we will see such clusters because this indicates some underground chains of transmission. As long as we can detect them and respond to them quickly, we can prevent large-scale community transmission. I think that is really the aim. I mean, I think it was probably too much to expect the virus to be completely eliminated from Hong Kong. But I think the aim really is to prevent large-scale community transmission. And if we can do this, detect these clusters at the earliest, track all their close contacts and diagnose them, isolate them. We can keep on top of things. Relatives of George Floyd, the black man killed as he was detained by police in the U.S. city of Minneapolis, are accompanying tens of thousands of people on a march through his hometown of Houston, Texas. The family members are expected to speak outside City Hall alongside the head of the Houston Police Department. The black American film director Spike Lee says President Trump's response to the death of George Floyd showed he was a gangster trying to be a dictator. Lee, who's highlighted racial injustice in the United States in his films, said people in the U.S. were angry because the system was set up for them to fail. People are fed up, not just black folks. If, you, if you've seen the footage of the protesters, it's very, very diverse. And but what's exciting for me, though, is that it's it's generation of my young white sisters and brothers. And so there's solidarity here, which I haven't seen since I was a young kid. Clashes have broken out in Paris between riot police and protesters demonstrating over the, over the death of a black man in police custody four years ago. Adama Traore's death in 2016 sparked several days of violent protests amid allegations of police brutality. Here's the BBC's Hugh Schofield. 
This evening, a crowd estimated at more than 20,000 converged on the law court situated near the peripheric ring road in the north of the city. Initially peaceful, the demonstration turned to violence when some protesters lit fires under the ring road. The protest is the biggest show of force in a long-running campaign led by the family of Adama Traore, a 24-year-old man who died in police custody in July 2016. Campaigners want police officers to be prosecuted for using unnecessary force leading to the young man's death. Medical examinations have failed to establish police guilt and campaigners say there is a cover-up. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Rachel Cartland. Rachel, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. Today we're talking about the latest COVID-19 situation in Hong Kong. The government has extended an eight-person limit on public gatherings until June the 18th, while also prolonging restrictions on arrivals from overseas. This comes after a fresh cluster of COVID-19 cases erupted in the past few days with several patients all linked to a 34-year-old woman who works in Kwai Chung, lives in Sha Tin. The woman had not been abroad recently and it's thought she may be a super spreader of the virus. And a ban on foreign non-residents returning that was due to expire on June the 18th will now be extended until September the 18th. Is this the right move? Would mass testing make a difference? How long can we keep going like this? And after nine, we're talking about the future of tourism here in Hong Kong, in the region and around the world. Has it changed forever? Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk or, best of all, give us a call. The number is 233 8826 uh, between programs, uh, mostly relating to the political situation and yesterday's discussion about uh, events uh, in the US and uh, uh, comparisons with uh, Hong Kong. Uh, Jay says, from uh, this is not strictly related to what I just said though, uh, Jay says, for more confidence in the financial system, we need the ICAC going in immediately to HSBC to find out who has been blackmailing all the staff. Uh, Andrew Kay says mm-hmm. on America, Hong Kong, when you are breaking the law on the streets and refusing to disperse, is this not resisting arrest? Uh, Andrew Kay also says Trump says he will protect the rights of citizens against rioters and looters. I've asked on this program who is protecting my rights in Hong Kong and never received any answer. Be I guess because everyone is pandering to the rioters here. Real people are ignored. On the national security law, if you are not planning to break the law, don't worry about it. Uh, D.Y. says, uh, hi, uh, with its militarised police force, hugely divided population, shoot first, ask questions later approach, a privatised for-profit jail system, a criminal justice system that fails to deliver justice in the USA, it was bound to blow up in its face. Ironically, we are better off in Hong Kong. Joshua Wong, Claudia Mo, you should go to the USA and help the protesters there face the militarised police force and national guards that will soon roll in to crush the protesters who are demanding justice and democracy. Where is Denise Ho? Shouldn't she go to speak up for the protesters in the USA at the United Nations? If they offer no moral support, they are hypocrites. Uh, Sam says, uh, Dear Backchat, has Hong Kong had enough of these protesters? Uh, In the light of the events in America, it appears democracy world over is disappearing in the darkness. A warning from a clawless lion. 
If China does not change course, BNO passport holders will be offered a path to British citizenship. Oh, the British are letting down some who could not obtain or apply for the BNO. What about that minority? Will Britain provide them with an opportunity again for the, to apply for the BNO now? How cruel can Britain get? They'd issued BNO to the Hong Kongers, but not to the plantation workers. Elsewhere, they imported to work in numerous plantation fields in their colonies. Double standards of democracy applied. It's time to inform Rob. China has crossed the line, and what remains are the formalities to annex the security laws to the basic law. BNO passport holders by now should surely be packing their bags ready to go. Oh, to be in England. Uh, Bruce says, why not invite Martin Lee to go on the trip to Beijing with Carrie Lam and crew? And finally, one says, uh, with the subject line, the system is rigged, it's really desperate for some of your listeners, like the gentleman Matthew, who love to call other listeners with views that they dislike, CCP trolls. It shows how unwilling he is to accept the views of American and Hong Kong people who disagree with him, and shows how much he needs a president like Trump to crush the dissent for him. I simply dislike oppression, and right now there's plenty of that in the West. The US form of democracy is not working if millions of people feel that democracy is failing them, and it's little comfort to tell them they can simply wait to vote to get rid of the administration. They know the system is rigged against people of colour and citizens who don't belong to the top 1%. That comes from one. Thank you very much indeed for all those comments. Back chat at rthk.hk. Uh, our guests uh, in this part of the programme, we're joined now by Dr. Sridhar Siddharth, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong, and Dr. Gabriel Choi, who's former president of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Yeah, well, it's been a disappointing uh, couple of days, hasn't it? We've had this feeling everything's getting better on the COVID front, and all of a sudden that seems not, not to be the case. I wonder if I could ask both of you why this is happening. Has the government um, not been doing enough? What should be, we be doing now? And should Hong Kong people be doing more? Dr. Sura Siddharth, perhaps I could begin with you. Right. Well, I wouldn't be too disappointed, I guess, uh, because of the way COVID-19 is raging around the world and also the features of COVID-19 itself, where you have a, a substantial proportion of asymptomatic individuals, it's very, very difficult to eradicate COVID-19 completely from a community, right? And so uh, we do have these uh, so-called cryptic chains of transmission where uh, you don't actually know that a that a person has COVID-19 and they're transmitting it to another person and then to another person and eventually one person gets symptomatic and seeks medical attention and it uh, it comes to our attention basically. So it's very, very difficult to eradicate COVID-19 completely and we should be fully prepared for the fact that there will be sporadic cases from time to time despite the best measures or despite the uh, best efforts of uh, the people and the government. But there are suggestions that the Hong Kong government has not been testing enough. Uh, comparisons with Macau seems to be doing about half the number of tests that Macau, which of course got a much smaller population, has been doing. Do you think there's anything in that? Should the government be doing more now? Absolutely. I mean, especially now that we have confirmed that such transmission is going on, it is absolutely crucial to ramp up testing. It is very important to remove um, bureaucratic obstacles to people who want to get COVID-19 testing. So you need highly streamlined solutions like uh, mobile testing units. So somebody who just feels, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit off today or I'm not too, I'm not my usual self, they can go in and get a COVID-19 test in a matter of minutes and 
they can get the result delivered to them and um, they know what to do next, basically. So we need this kind of highly streamlined COVID-19 testing. Now, this is just not for the benefit of the public. Identifying these uh, individuals with, uh, you know, mild COVID-19 enables us to, well, uh, isolate them earlier as well as trace their close contacts and quarantine them as well. And this is uh, basically by far the most time-tested method of controlling COVID-19 anywhere in the world. So the, the means to do that is to ramp up testing, and this must be done. And do you think it's appropriate to extend those measures which we, we have in Hong Kong, which are, you know, around the world, they're being relaxed and it seems that we're, you know, we're sticking onto them in Hong Kong, even though we have a tiny number of cases, actually. Do you think that's appropriate? Yeah, well, I think the, uh, the uh, priority is to protect the healthcare system at uh, all costs from overloading because it is, it is fragile and if you have a huge surge of cases, like we had in March, the situation can uh, escalate beyond control very fast. So the measures that we have in Hong Kong are actually are actually relatively milder compared to the lockdown scenarios in many countries. So in Hong Kong, it is still uh, uh, we still go into work every day. Our restaurants are still functioning, but there are some restrictions on uh, you know physical distancing and. Um, such like, which uh, are, I would say, the bare minimum required to make sure the situation doesn't snowball too quickly out of control. So I think it's reasonable to extend those measures, but uh, as I said before, uh, you do need mass, uh, very, very efficient testing as well to make sure these uh, measures are as effective as possible. Okay, Dr. Choi, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, are you worried by this latest outbreak? Uh, it's just uh, showed that there is still uh, carriers around uh, in the city, and this is to be expected. And the world around us is uh, still full of uh, COVID-19 cases. So any lack, any slack in in uh, in protecting ourselves will lead to uh, another outbreak. So this is not surprising. We are not even sure right now whether the uh, the current case is related to uh, the import of uh, material from other countries or whether it is related to uh, uh, global cases without uh, touching the uh, imported stuff. So it, it is important to, to do... Um, to do screening tests uh, for a lot of people. But uh, I think the health department is not prepared to do it for every uh, single one who has no no symptoms, who, who is entirely asymptomatic right now. They're, they have their own limitation uh, in the quota of uh, testing. And how about doctors in the private sector? I mean, one of the features in this recent case that has triggered this entire chain seems to be that this poor woman went to three private doctors, whom none of none of whom considered giving her a COVID test. Is 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 that something that happens often? Well, initially, the health department and the CHP suggested that uh, COVID test uh, is to be done on people with uh, upper respiratory symptoms and fever and cough and so on. And uh, the 
the requirement or the standard for testing varies and changes as time goes on. And most doctors are not able to convince their patients to do the testing uh, uh, if they do not have the suggested uh, symptoms. So it is not easy to ask the patient to uh, uh, go home and uh, spit out the saliva and uh, in the morning go to a search clinic to deliver the bottles and so on. E- even more difficult to ask them to pay 100, 100 bucks to get a delivery man to deliver the specimen. So uh, we are talking about uh, patients who have uh, minimal symptoms or no symptoms. Uh, whole government requests uh, to have the test done. If really government wants to have the test done, they can have it done on all the attendants uh, in the GOPD, in the government outpatient clinic, in the AED, uh, accident emergency department, in all those who visit the specialist clinic and so on. Then they will have made up the quota. But uh, even in these uh, government-owned uh, clinics, uh, all these uh, tests are not regularly done. Hmm. It's interesting, this question of pe- people's reluctance to be tested, isn't it? I mean, my understanding is that the UK system, which is already pretty shambolic, is now falling apart because people simply aren't now signing up for the available tests. Dr. Schrittner, do, do have you ever come across this, this reluctance to be involved in, in the entire process? Patients are reluctant to believe that they, are, they will succumb to COVID-19 especially when they feel nothing or, or, or their symptoms are extremely mild. So it will, it will take a lot of time to convince them to go to the to, to deliver the specimen to the uh, chest clinic and so on. Uh, this is, if the patient has uh, fever and has uh, symptoms of uh, cough and symptoms and uh, weakness and so on, uh, then they would seek advice for the test, but if they do not have these symptoms at all and what they have is just a mild uh, flu-like illness uh, or weakness and uh, something else, then they would be very reluctant to uh, to, be, to be suggested that they have uh, COVID-19 and should get COVID-19 testing done. Do people fear the treatment? Do they fear having to go into a government isolation hospital? I think uh, almost everyone would that they need to be isolated uh, in hospital or the, uh, in isolation for 14 days. Uh, I, 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 I think uh, this is the norm. <clears throat> As, uh, and people <clears throat> do not really want uh, to get positive tested. Uh, uh, they tend to believe that they are uh, free from the COVID virus, especially when they have no evidence of uh, contacting with several uh, patients or having been to uh, other countries or uh, having uh, uh, evidence of support of uh, getting the virus. So it sounds as if we need the PR people and the behavioural scientists and so on and out, unless we're really going to make things compulsory. Uh, yeah, if government really wants to have uh, the test done, uh, they can make it compulsory, but then they don't have the numbers. They don't have the, uh, the they, they're not ready to do it universally on all the population. So uh, they just want to uh, get a bigger number, but they're not yet ready for 
Where is the limitation? Is it in the laboratory facilities or in the reagent? Well, the... Yes, I think it's in the laboratory. They, they have a number, but the number is not for the whole population. Hmm. Dr. Srila, how, how would you see the, the, the practicalities of ramping up the testing? Well, there are, there are obstacles at many levels, right? At the patient level, obviously, getting a positive test for COVID-19 is extremely disruptive like you have to go into isolation for an indefinite period of time until the virus cleared not just 14 weeks it could be 21 to 28 days in some cases not just 14 days sorry in the case of their family they have to go to quarantine for 14 days with the chance that some of them may have uh, may eventually develop COVID-19 so the scary thing for uh, patients and if they have mild symptoms they would much rather just wait it out than perhaps uh, get the COVID-19 test. Now, in this kind of uh, um, setting, uh, when you actually increase the obstacles to testing, like, uh, you know, they have to take something home, they have to save their early morning sample, they have to mail it in somewhere else, when they have more time to think about the ramifications of testing, uh, obviously you're going to have a lot of people dropping out and that's, that's, that's just human behavior and uh, you can't blame them for that either. So it, it's got to be as streamlined and as convenient as possible and the government seriously needs to start thinking about uh, where best to nurse COVID-19 patients who are very mildly ill. Is the hospital the best place to nurse them? Now in the the days in March when we had lots and lots of cases of COVID-19, many of whom were mild, this is the question we were asking. If the case number starts to go up further, is it possible to nurse some of these uh, uh, very mildly ill individuals in the community under a supervised setting where they would be much happier instead of a prison-like setting in the hospital? And uh, this is uh, something that has to be done to kind of Demonize the whole process and to make it more, um, uh, more, uh, uh, more attractive, if that's the best word, you know, for people to get themselves testing for COVID-19. And um, similarly, at the laboratory level, there, there are obstacles. Regions are expensive. There, there are limitations uh, practically to the throughput, to the number of samples you can put through the system every day. But this is these are scalable systems. Right? I mean, there are some services that perhaps could be suspended to make uh, more COVID-19 testing possible. There are, in this age of automation, there are automated solutions available to basically improve uh, the amount of tests you can do per day. So there are obstacles all along the way, but uh, I mean, if you don't think about innovative solutions, then uh, there's, there's really no way out, and that's what is called fire. Yeah, we, we heard about a testing regime that was going to be a bit like a coffee machine, wasn't it? That you put in a capsule and got an almost instant answer. Is that not available? Yeah, in fact, uh, we are using the gene expert system. So that's uh, something like what you described. So it looks like an espresso machine. <laughs> so you just have a capsule that has the reagents for the... Um, uh, SARS-CoV tests, you plug in the reagents, you put it in the machine, and uh, about an hour later, it comes back with the results. And that's actually what we're using uh, every day. So that that is uh, obviously one of the things that has made testing so convenient, even for laboratory staff who lack uh, experience in handling uh, more complicated kind of testing systems. Uh, 
uh, this is very, very convenient indeed. And you can expect uh, such solutions to uh, simply improve as time goes on. Um. Uh, Dr. Choi was just just mentioned the you know uh, the questions about the the origin of the uh, of the uh, of the virus in Hong Kong because we thought we had a kind of closed system there's nobody there's nobody coming in and for long periods yeah we we had no cases at all so it's kind of mystery as to where, where this emerged you know the uh, and this one of the people involved um, does work in packaging and does work in as I understand it works in stuff that's uh, it was Marks and Spencer's food or something like that <laughs> stuff that's coming in from overseas could it have come in like that could could you have caught it from a from a package or something that's uh that, that's that come is from one of the situation yeah that is one of the situation Do, so Dr. Anything out because the source is not obvious yeah uh, uh so we, we 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 i think government is looking at that that, that as one of the possibilities sure dr siddharth is that plausible what would you yeah so from a purely you know scientific point of view yes the virus is capable of survival on plastic and metallic surfaces for prolonged periods of time, probably a few days. It can retain its infectivity. And especially if you transport it in the refrigerated environments, mm. uh, that would probably boost its uh, survival from overseas until the time it gets to Hong Kong. So, uh, which is why we always tell the public about the importance of hand hygiene because uh, the, the virus is fairly hardy, right? Especially in the kind of uh, uh, environment in which uh, goods are transported around the world, right? But um, the specifics, uh, we, we, we really need to investigate further. I mean, environmental smoke from that uh, warehouse where she was working and also, uh, you know, an investigation of the, the people in the building to see if there are other possible sources of infection are, are absolutely necessary. So we can't jump to that conclusion. But but um, from, from what you're saying, something like fresh or refrigerated food from, from overseas, especially countries that have uh, a lot of cases, that might be a, a risk factor. There, there is a theoretical possibility of not that. Um, I mean, there's... There's no point. There's no denying it, yeah. So, I mean, even people right now who go to the supermarket and handle and buy produce, etc., once they come back home, I would strongly advise them to wash their hands because it's not just the place it's coming from. Uh, and, and wash the packages? Wash the... Well, as long as you wash your hands regularly, I would say uh, regularly washing the packages and things would not be practical because it would simply be impossible to disinfect each and every surface thoroughly. But uh, it's just important to keep uh, okay. washing your hands. All right, and uh, the survival of the virus does go down over time, so it's not like it sticks on there indefinitely. Within a few days, uh, it really should uh, slowly decline. Yeah. Okay. Um, our number is 233-88266. We've got a caller, Dan, on the line. Dan, good morning. Hello, Hugh and guests. Yes, a couple of uh, quick questions. Uh, I'm a frequent hiker. I'm a leader in Hong Kong hiking meetup, and I've never understood why the medical technocrats and the government haven't been able to make a distinction between indoor and outdoor activities. I understand the restrictions for indoor activities, but honestly, uh, what difference does it make if it's four people, eight people, 16 people? It should make no difference at all. Can they explain that? Okay, we don't have a representative from the government here, just for a change. Uh, but Dr. Choi, do you understand the logic? What, what, 
your thoughts on that? I think uh, when the rules were relaxed a little bit, uh, we see crowds, uh, crowds hundreds uh, in the hundreds uh, actually went uh, hiking and uh, going up, going, going up the mountains and so on. So uh, that was a, 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 a big mass of uh, people uh, who may have, uh, who may cause or trigger. Uh, the infection spreading around. So I think that was the reason government was concerned. Uh, I can't speak for the government, but uh, personally, I think uh, the, the mass, uh, the crowd of eight through can be relaxed uh, right now because uh, we're not seeing uh, any any major spread except for the latest one uh, just about days ago. Yeah. Okay. And Dan, your other question? Um Okay, I'm a businessman. I need to get up to my factories in Shenzhen and Dongguan. Is there any reason why business people uh, who need to go should not be able to go today? Uh, any thoughts on that, Dr. Siddharth? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a tricky situation because we don't know the exact uh, situation of uh, COVID-19 in China. There are reports in different parts of China that there is a so-called resurgence of cases or second wave or whatever, many of which are imported. Some of there seems to be some ongoing local transmission. So facts on the ground in different cities in China are uh, uh, reliable facts are hard to come by, right? So uh, you would have to exercise uh, due caution with regards to that and also the Hong Kong rules that stipulate that once you're coming in again uh, into Hong Kong, there would be some requirements for you to fulfill as far as quarantine. Now, I understand these measures seem very um, well difficult to uh, achieve and fulfill at the moment, but uh, they are still in place uh, for the foreseeable okay. future. We're, so we're, it, it, yeah. We're out of time now. Uh, Dan, thanks very much indeed for your call. Dr. Siddharth Siddharth, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Clinical Assistant Pre Professor at the University of Hong Kong and Dr. Gabriel Choi. Um, the weather before the news at nine. Hot with sunny periods and some isolated showers. 30 degrees now. Relative humidity is 75%. Tourism after the news. ...of the late Pope John Paul II, prompting the Archbishop of Washington to say the space was being egregiously misused and manipulated. On Monday, police used tear gas to clear peaceful demonstrators from a church where Mr. Trump went for a first opportunity. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a uh, Wednesday morning with Rachel Cartland and me, Hugh Chiverton. We were talking in the first part of the programme this morning about uh, the latest outbreak of uh, COVID-19, the latest cluster. We wanted to talk uh, in the second part of the programme to uh, focus on the question of tourism and uh, travel. Uh, we uh, see uh, cities in Europe uh, and uh, to lesser extent uh, in Asia uh, planning and even beginning to uh, receive tourists. Uh, once again, after the uh, lockdowns and uh, restrictions associated with uh, COVID-19. Uh, what about us in Hong Kong? What's the situation like? What's the situation like uh, in the region and uh, globally? Uh, will there be uh, a long-term, even a permanent change to the pattern of uh, tourism and how people travel around the world uh, in future? Uh, as ever, we want to hear from you. So uh, email backchat at rthk.hk with your thoughts or call us on 233-88266. We especially welcome calls. 
Uh, or you can comment on our Facebook page. That's Batch Out on RTHK Radio 3, and everyone can see uh, what you write there. Uh, we're joined now by uh, John App, who's a visiting professor and director of Global Centre for Tourism, Education and Training at the Macau Institute for Tourism Studies, and Professor Brian King from the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Before we get to the tourism, still a discussion uh, relating to uh, political issues and uh, in particular the uh, uh, the United States. Uh, and uh, here's an email from Matthew who was uh, referenced in an earlier email in the uh, first part of the program, the beginning of the uh, program. Uh, Matthew says, It's interesting to see the former regular Backchat guest, Junius Ho, coming out yesterday in opportunistic solidarity with African-American people <laughs> and telling us also he can't breathe. Where was he and all the righteous backchat comrades when President Xi was forcing out the tens of thousands of African residents in Guangzhou as part of his Wuhan virus risk mitigation work plan? Junius and backchat comrades, do you also condemn the unfair treatment of black people by the CCP in China? Never mind, we all know the answer. That comes from uh, Matthew. And someone who signs himself a Christian says, I wonder whether Mark or Mike would care to comment on the walk of faith by Trump after his security detail cleared a path through his subjects so that he could post a photo call posing in front of a boarded-up church with a Bible hoisted in his divine right hand. I spent 13 months of my youth in voluntary service at a Solomon Islands missionary society. I found it utterly disgusting. Surely the lowest he has yet stooped. That is signed, as I say, by a Christian. Thank you very much indeed. Backchat at rthk.hk. Professor King, we've got so many things we want to ask you about tourism. It's been uh, in the past an important money earner for Hong Kong, but since the protests erupted, seems no more. It's absolutely vital for many economies around the world. Um, people in Hong Kong would like to have a holiday overseas in the way that they used to. What do you think is going to be the first breakthrough? Will people in Hong Kong be able to go to Asia, back to Europe? Will people be able to come to Hong Kong? Well, good morning, uh, Rachel. Good morning, Hugh. Look, I think we the, the first step, it's going to be baby steps at first, I think, the, the so-called travel bubble. So, so we know from 7th of June that the quarantine for uh, Macau, Taiwan, and China, although we, we don't yet know which parts of China, uh, will be taken down. And, and I think it'll be reciprocal. So I think uh, Hong Kongers for the next four and a half weeks will get used to seeing their own territory, appreciating it, and then they'll venture out to Macau, Taiwan, uh, mainland. These will be the first places. Now, we know that there are things in place for other destinations that maybe are doing a bit better. Um, Korea might be, be an example. But there are others that are doing well, like Australia and New Zealand, where they're probably not going to open up, uh, at least this year. So I think that our kind of era of hypermobilities, where we just go down to the airport, uh, go to the other ends of the earth, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, that's over. And then we need to start thinking a bit more locally. And I think for Hong Kong, that means the SAR. Then it'll be Macau and, uh, and GBA, maybe Taiwan, and maybe some other uh, selected places after that. Yeah, perhaps we don't appreciate our own home enough. There, there are plenty of great places to go to, even within our boundaries, aren't there? Well, I think that's the exciting part. Uh, as our cultural uh, facilities and attractions start opening, you know, the new Museum of Art, 
um, M Plus Pavilion at the, uh, the Kowloon, West Kowloon Cultural District, uh, Taekwun, all these places. I think that uh, our local residents have a chance, uh, and with no over-tourism just now, they have the chance to appreciate these places, go hiking and, and so on. And so I think it's a real reset for the people of Hong Kong that have got used to, as I called it, hypermobility. And now it's about appreciating our own place, the culture, the natural environment, the uh, entertainment, all these things. But how about these nearby places that you're talking about as opening up fairly soon, Macau, uh, Great Bay Area and so on? Do we have any indication of what will be expected? Will we have to have health passports? Will there be some sort of tests at the airport? Do we know anything? Well, I think if we look to Macau first, I was in, spent time in Macau just before the quarantine came in, and I saw people moving around the locals uh, really a few weeks ahead of Hong Kong, and they have like a QR code, uh, Prof- uh, John App can comment on this, already Macau's advanced this part, and I think Hong Kong will come into play with that type of thing. So just as you go on the gold bus to Macau, uh, you used to have to go through, you know, to have a health declaration, you have to show your uh, iPhone, uh, your app when you get to the other end. So there'll be a bit of that. Uh, There may be more rigorous uh, testing, so we may have to have some kind of uh, confirmation that we're uh, we're we're not carrying the, the the virus, and then hotels in Macau, casinos and so on, they will have various procedures in place uh, for for hygiene. So we'll progressively get used to these uh, restrictions on our movement. But I, th- I think around Hong Kong, where we've got the express rail and the bridge, maybe for land transport, that's where we'll get used to it first, and then the flying all around will come a bit later. Uh, John, out. Good morning to you. Yes, good morning from Macau. Yeah, to tell us more about that, that, the arrangements you have at the moment. What's the, what's the QR code? What's the app we're talking about? Okay, uh, in terms of the QR code, it's similar to the one that um, we have in China. Basically, uh, every day when I have to go to the office or to go to any public building in Macau, I'm required to show the QR code uh, result. And basically, it, uh, there's a free colour-coded system green, amber, and red. Basically, if I've got the green, it means that uh, entry is permitted. And on top of you know, showing the uh, QR code or the health declaration, and my temperature is taken and I'm expected to wear a face mask. Uh, for your information, at this point in time, Markow has no cases of uh, COVID-19. Uh, we have a total of 45 cases. Uh, Zero cases in hospitals for patients, as I just mentioned. Uh, zero cases of medical workers. Um, zero cases for the last 55 days. So things are going pretty well and honky-dory here in uh, Macau. And we feel fairly safe. And in, in terms of lockdown, that really has not happened to the extent that it has in Hong Kong and many other places. Are, are, are there any restrictions at all on mainlanders travelling to uh, Macau? Presently, mainlanders, predominantly migrant workers, school kids and those living in the Zhuhai area uh, are permitted to cross the border on a daily basis. What is required is that uh, these folks need to have a uh, tester uh, using their saliva and apparently it takes about 24 hours to process it. So if they, they plan to come over, they have to have the test and 
the, the test result is valid for uh, seven days and then they have to um, arrange to um, be retested uh, every seven so, days. So they will do the test 24 hours before they travel? Correct. Okay. Uh, 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 these uh, you, these all make sense. Can you have a tourist industry, though, under circumstances like this? Oh, certainly not, uh, because tourism mm. is down, I think, 99%. Uh, I think in the month of April, uh, it was announced that, right, in the previous year, uh, there were 3 million visitors, and then in April of this year, there were 11,000. So it is possible for people to come in, but um, it, it's not that easy. Uh, because of the requirements and the restrictions that are in place, and particularly the quarantine uh, requirements. Mm. And the, so the Macau economy must be really, really hurting because it's so dependent on tourism. Isn't that yes. so? Uh, yes. Uh, but, yes, certainly the, the tourism industry has uh, yeah, suffered severely as in everywhere else. But the uh, situation... Presently, in Macau, when we talk about small and medium enterprises, and not necessarily you know, our tourism um, sector uh, businesses, is that uh, Macau introduced what they call the e-voucher um, consumption uh, scheme. And basically, every uh, Macau ID card holder uh, from uh, May through to end of July uh, has been given uh, 3,000 takas in order to spend locally in Macau. This is to be extended uh, for, uh, up until from August through to December with another 5,000, and that has certainly injected uh, cash into uh, many of the restaurants, which of course have traditionally survived on tourists and also um, yeah, other small-sized businesses. The money can only spend, be spent in uh, Macau, which is a good thing. Well, you know, you know, Macau is an example of um, a, a, a city uh, that depends very much on on tourism, doesn't it? On on money coming in from outside for spent for leisure purposes. Uh, is that model, you know, just sustainable? Or can you, uh, you know, there's so many question marks about the future of of uh, tourism, say here and in the region and, and around yeah. the world. You know, is that Will it have to fundamentally change? Unfortunately, given the nature of Macau, it's very difficult to change. I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, Macau residents have always acknowledged and understood is that, you know, whenever there is some type of crisis or, you know, downturn in the economy, it does impact uh, upon them. Um, the last time something like this happened was in 2014 uh, when there was a junket operator scandal which um, led to a loss of confidence you know in in the um, in, in the industry uh, it, it bounced back and and you know previously people have always you know raised concerns that we need to diversify uh, the economy and, and this is a, a tough ask the the sustainability of tourism uh, is questioned under the current uh, situation yes the casinos have opened now, to go into a casino, you need to have your temperature checked. You're required to wear a face mask. Sanitizers are uh, available, etc. And it's a situation of not only you know, um, protecting the, um, the gambler or the customer going into the casino, but also a protection of the employees to ensure that uh, they do not catch um, the virus from the, the guests and the, and the visitors.
And, and are people wedged shoulder to shoulder around the roulette tables in the normal no. way? No, <laughs> there's, there's social distancing, of course, yes. So instead of having, you know, say, you know, around the table, you know, uh, four or five people sitting next to each other, uh, they've just spaced them basically at least a, a seat apart. Mm. So the whole atmosphere is very much undermined, in, in fact. Oh, huh? Yes, of course, yes. So the buzz is not there. Okay, John, John, we have a question which is not strictly relevant, I guess, but <laughs> Matthew in an email says, I'm very interested to know about John App's unique pronunciation of Macau as Macau. Uh, if you have time, please ask him if there was an origin to this or if it's just his own unique pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it never occurred to me, but uh, as you know, I'm an Aussie, so there's the Aussie accent in there, so... Okay, that's the explanation. All right, okay, thank you very much. Uh, David Webb, uh, in an email uh, with the subject line, the border testing regime has gaps, says, we are testing all arriving air passengers, but not the following. One, exempted persons such as air crew. Two, anyone crossing the land border except arrivals from Hubei. The new cluster started in a food labelling warehouse which processes deliveries from the mainland, driven in by exempted truck drivers. This was the likely vector. In my view, all arrivals, whether or not exempted from quarantine, should be tested. That comes uh, from David Webb. Thank you very much indeed. Backchat.rthk.hk. Uh, uh, Brian King, uh, as I said, it seems like some European countries are moving ahead that, that are very reliant on, on tourism, are moving ahead with, with opening up. You see this in Spain and Italy and Greece, Greece. and so on, yeah. Um, uh, is, is that going to be the pattern? You think the sort of the floodgates will sort of, you know, give way now that everyone is going to start travelling around Europe? Well, it's... Uh, I've worked in Italy and France and Spain many years ago in the, in the travel industry, and these countries are, you know, the world's biggest uh, receivers of uh, mass international tourism, and, and I think that... Uh, the visitor economy is so much part of the European project. They, they are feeling the need to keep moving ahead with the indebtedness of the southern European countries. I mean, I, I think what's happening is a little bit, uh, it's quite a high-risk strategy. Uh, I mean, I wish them well, but the, the opening up of, in Italy, of, you know, Colosseum, the beaches in, in, in Greece and so on, it's all happening pretty fast. Now, the Europeans have got a lot of experience with, uh, with tourism, so they've been handling many millions of tourists for the last 50, 60 years, uh, more experience than we've got in this part of the world, but they don't necessarily have the discipline around the hand-washing and the uh, mask-wearing and so on. And so it's going to be very hard for these destinations really to discipline the visitors and I think that's where our more cautious approach here uh, should pay dividends, because if you've got your visitors being responsible, you've got your industry taking its responsibility seriously and uh, really evidence-based testing, etc. So uh, I, I think the European strategy is quite risky, and, and with a second wave, um, it imperils the whole thing. I've read some extraordinary suggestions about what flights are going to be like in future for passengers. Uh, not much fun at all, basically. It sounds like, you know, have, keep your mask on throughout. Do you, what do you know about that? 
Well, I think there's various different uh, approaches being looked at by the International Association, by individual airlines. Look, let's think back to 9-11. After that, uh, we had all the uh, testing at airports. You had to go to airports hours before. So the, the convenience factor was taken away. Uh, but we got used to it. This time around, it's of a higher level because it means inside the the aircraft cabin, as you say, it may mean uh, wearing a mask, which will be not pleasant. Uh, new technologies will come in, which will make it less unpleasant. Um, how they'll apply social distancing, I think they're still working on that. Um, and so I don't think we know the, the destination at the moment, but we can be confident that the current practices, you know, we can't continue with that. So I think that creates a lot of uncertainty for, you know, investors and airlines for the survival of these, uh, these businesses. Do you think that, I mean, let's say that, we, that there is a, uh, uh, some kind of vaccine or something and it practically disappears, do you still think that we could go back to tourism like it used to be, kind of mass tourism, or do you think that with some, we've crossed some kind of Rubicon or whatever and we're not, we're not going to, it won't be like that ever again? I think we probably won't. I mean, I, I'm not a crystal ball uh, gazer. I mean, there's different things that come into play. Uh, those that are talking about the climate crisis and global warming and so on are saying these two things may come together so that the air, uh, airlines will really need to start thinking about carbon emissions and so on more seriously. If they're to survive, the governments will only help them, like in Europe, if they reduce emissions and so on. And that may mean a, a whole rethinking of the way we do business. You know, can we go on the nine euro flight or can we go to New Zealand very cheaply? It may mean the whole cost structure changes substantially. That opens up issues of of equity. So I, I think probably it will not go back to the hyper mobilities of, uh, I think that's now a thing of the past. But look, there's a chance it will, but I think uh, more fundamental change is more likely. Mm, yeah, I mean, a lot of people also talk about a lot, lot less uh, business travel. Uh, people, you know, having got used to doing things on the internet. Uh, if that happens, how will that affect the airlines? Yes, well, their, their whole business model is based on uh, corporate travel with very high profitability from the business and first-class cabins. And if we're talking about social distancing in economy that makes it look more like first and second, uh, first and uh, business class, the, the, the model of packing people into economy and then taking all the profits from the front end, uh, that was the whole model of mass tourism. So we may need to think, rethink the whole idea of what an aircraft cabin looks like and who's going to get a seat. You know, if you're only willing to pay nine euros, then you're probably going to take the bus instead and travel locally. So there are a lot of issues that come up, but I, I think this time around, more than 9-11, we're into, you know, having to rethink our model. John App, do you agree? Yes, certainly. I concur with many of the things that um, you know, Brian has mentioned. I mean, uh, whether we like it or not, there's going to be a, a new normal, um, which has emerged and is still evolving. So um, there are a lot of uncertainties. Uh, certainly public health and hygiene measures are going to become something that is going to become you know, fairly fairly standard in terms of what we do, temperature checking, uh, the testing, self-declarations, face masks, quarantining, social distancing. So um, we're going to have to, to assess that uh, for the, the greater good. Um, in, in terms of the, uh, the, the travel uh, measures, uh, 
there's been a lot of talk about the travel bubble. So in the case of Macau, it's mentioned that uh, their priority is to have the mainland uh, tourists come back first and then, believe it or not, Hong Kong uh, later on. So when this is obviously in recognition of the importance of, of um, the mainland tourists you know, for the tourism economy here in Macau. Um, I think other things relating to issues of open tourism, um, you know, there have been obviously complaints you know, both in Hong Kong as well as in Macau about you know, too many tourists and things like that. So here's an opportunity to reset and rethink the way um, in which we um, handle the, the arrival and the number of guests that uh, come to um, the different destinations. You, you think we'd have fewer richer travellers? from Alonzo who says pre-COVID I travelled frequently for both work and pleasure I cannot see myself flying long haul until there is a vaccine i.e. next year and with Zoom and other video conferencing options like Cisco etc readily available business travel could take a long time to recover moreover given the drastic change in service offered in business and first class this previously lucrative portion of airline revenues could be under serious threat a friend of mine used his air miles to redeem a first class seat on BA to London last week. In lieu of a gourmet meal and a glass of Montrachet, he was offered a sandwich for dinner, a muffin for breakfast, while not a drop of alcohol was available on board. Welcome to the future of flying in the posh seats. <laughs> that comes uh, from uh, uh, Alonso. Thank you, Mr. Deeds, for that. Uh, 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 John App, uh, you know, if you were in charge of tourism in Hong Kong, uh, it's all very well sort of encouraging, as, as uh, Professor King was talking about, you know, more sort of local tourism and people enjoying what we have here. But if you wanted to attract people from from overseas, um, how would you go about it now, do you think? Oh, <laughs> that's an interesting one. Um, certainly there needs to be public confidence in any destination that it is uh, safe to visit, safe to come. And, and these be one of the things that I would uh, highlight upon. So, yes, uh, you come, visit us, stay with us, and in doing so, uh, we can ensure that uh, a high level and degree of um, public um, health safety measures are in place. Um, the, the other thing that will obviously happen initially uh, is that you know, there will be uh, economic uh, incentives uh, to bring people here, uh, probably initially as the tourism industry will open up. Uh, we will find that there will be um, you know, uh, bargains, you know, maybe for flights and, and hotels, but then that will eventually uh, adjust. I, I suppose it's an opportunity to also for the industry, and in this case the Tourism Commission and the Hong Kong Tourism Board, um, to look at uh, highlighting and featuring uh, 
some of the lesser-known attractions that exist uh, in Hong Kong. Yeah, certainly when I came over to Macau, and I was happy to, to live and stay here, and I've got a number of colleagues that would often return to Hong Kong on the weekend. And I think um, when they do this, they unfortunately uh, miss out on the, the little gems that exist in Macau, uh, the festivals and events that are often held on the weekends, uh, the little-known uh, heritage building sites that exist. So this is something I think that Hong Kong can do to... You know, spread out tourism away from the traditional, you know, uh, shopping areas of um, you know, Causeway Bay, you know, Simsajo, and the uh, theme park attractions that we we have. So this is some of the things and the thoughts that I have to, to share with you on this. Well, the tour, the Hong Kong Tourism Board is very well funded, isn't it? So one would hope they have got their thinking caps on, but there's no real indication of that at present, is there? Professor King. Yeah, Professor King. Do you do you have any news about what the Hong Kong authorities are are, are doing? What they're thinking? Yeah. So I think the the plan is. Uh, I attended a Zoom conference where there were the presenters from their offices in different parts of the world. So I think the first step is to go for more the local market, and then it's at this time it's to keep the interest in Hong Kong. Uh, amongst key people globally. So it's the kind of travel industry partners and then those that have been to Hong Kong before or have an interest. So it's to keep them engaged, maybe through some more like virtual, uh, so, so keep them connected and to be ready for when things uh, loosen up a bit. And then in terms of what the commission and so on have been doing, well, they've been opening up the so-called new tourism areas, uh, Sham Shui Po, uh, Wan Chai, uh, different areas that are uh, seen as, as, as John App said, the, the the new experiences, the hidden gems. So that there's something going on in the ground uh, with, and then the new Museum of Art. Some of that infrastructure part, and then the other bit is to prepare markets, the travel industry, and the consumers globally uh, to come back when the when the time is ready. Okay, well, thank you both very much indeed for for joining us this morning. Uh, John App, Visiting Professor and Director of Global Centre for Tourism Education and Training at the Macau Institute for Tourism Studies, and Professor Brian King from the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. On Facebook, Tom says, I see many cities in the US have curfews starting as early as 2pm. Stay off the streets and stay home curfews. In Hong Kong, we never had a curfew, and last year when the MTR stopped at 9, locals were outraged at how authoritarian this drastic measure was. The train stations were being smashed and burned almost daily. Tom also says it will be interesting to hear of any updates on the possibility of a travel bubble in Asia that includes countries that have COVID well contained, including places such as Hong Kong, Taiwan, China, Vietnam, Australia and New Zealand. And James says, will Carrie Lam and her entourage be tested for COVID on arrival back in Hong Kong? Will they be isolating for two weeks? Uh, to my knowledge, James, they will be tested, uh, but they won't be isolating. Uh, and finally, Anorak in an email says, the last discussion point was travel into China and risk. And the expert said there was no, there was risk as the true situation in China is not accurately known. The CE and entourage are in Beijing today. Presumably they will be tested on return and be required to home quarantine for 14 days and wear an electronic tag. Just wondering... 
That comes from Anorak. Thank you very much indeed for that comment. Rachel, many thanks to you. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at 8.30 talking about uh, it's June the 4th, so we'll be talking about uh, uh, June the 4th. The weather hot with sunny periods and isolated showers today. Temperatures up to about 32 degrees. And the outlook is going to be hot tomorrow and on Friday. There'll be showers at the weekend. 30 degrees now. The relative humidity is at 74%. To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, always keep hands clean and wash hands for at least 20 seconds. Put the lid down before flushing. Add water to U-traps regularly. Cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask and seek medical advice promptly if unwell. Fully cover your nose, mouth and chin with a mask. Visit chp.gov.hk to learn more. 9.33, the news now with Samantha Butler. The Secretary for Health, Sophia Chan, says officials have been telling residents it's not necessary to leave the Sha Tin estate that's linked to the latest cluster of coronavirus cases. Tenants have reportedly been seen packing bags and leaving. The housing estate is linked to a cluster of nine cases centred around a warehouse in Kwai Chung. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has warned China that if it imposes new security laws in Hong Kong, Britain will have no choice but to offer millions of people with British national overseas passports a route to UK citizenship. More than 350,000 people have BNO passports. Another 2.5 million are eligible to apply for them. And an investigation by the Associated Press has revealed that the World Health Organization struggled to get key information from China at the start of the coronavirus pandemic. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 Not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil? Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type pilots. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday. Morning brew time once again with me, Phil Whelan. Today we really will get to talk about dogs squaring off with Janice Jensen from Nevis Animal Speak in just a little while. We had a bit of a tennis ball tangent last week. After 10, a brief catch up with our friend and extreme traveller, Tor Pedersen of Once Upon a Saga fame. You may remember that his venture has been curtailed somewhat. So rather than sit around in Hong Kong doing not much, last weekend he decided to walk the Wilson Trail. All of it. 11.40 today, RTL France's Philippe Devar will be back. Joining us today on the line from Wuhan will be French TV journalist Arnaud Miguet. Throughout all of this, Arnaud decided to stay put in Wuhan to get the stories and to be able to share his first-hand experience.